0: Well, this morning I wanted to take the time to just say thank you to all of you who are moms. I know Not from personal experience, but from personal eye view, that it is a lot of work being a mom. And so we want to say thank you to all of you who are moms, and thankful for all of our moms. Because if you're here on earth, you got a mom, right? We're thankful for all of our moms. Whether they're our biological moms, or maybe there's people who have stepped up to take that role. We have spiritual spiritual moms. Uh, I really believe this, that it is the hardest job with the least reward, being a mom. And, uh, and I have actually seen the transformation uh, that has happened in my wife. I met my wife 20 years ago, something like that, right? And uh, we've been married 11 years. Parent, and we've been parents for the last seven and a half years. You have three kids. And, um, and I've just seen the transformation that has happened in my wife. And so it's amazing to watch a young lady become a mom. And uh, it's, a, it's a cool thing to see. Uh, you know, some people have asked me, how is it having three kids? People ask me that. You know, because a lot of people in San Francisco don't have three kids. You know, they cut it off at two if they have kids. They're like, this, this is our limit, okay? And uh, was, there's wisdom in that, I believe, Okay? <laughs> <laughs> And so people have asked me, how is it having three kids? And I said, well, you know, when you start with one, it's, it's, really, it's really cute, you know? It's like, you got mom on one hand, you got dad on the other, and you're walking places, and you kind of, you know, you get the chance to swing your kid, you know? And even if, you know, you're walking across the street, and the light turns green for cars to come, they think it's cute, you know? Even if they have to wait a couple more seconds as you're walking across the street. It's a really cute thing. But then when you have two kids and you're crossing the street, it becomes more about safety because, you know, they start to pick up speed and they want to run their own direction. And so before you ever cross the street, it's like, you know, I got to make sure I got one and, and make sure you got the other. Okay. Everybody's got a hand. We're going across the street as quick as we can. Okay. So that's what two kids look like. But when you have three kids, here's the conversation Okay, you got one. I've got another one. And we're just praying the third one makes it. That's how it happens. (laughs) That's the truth. (laughs) But (laughs) mom... I'm horrible, huh? So far, so good. Okay, yeah. (laughs) But moms are interesting creatures, aren't they? Creatures. Is there, I need to clarify that "creatures" is not a good word to say. Call mom. Okay. Anyway, what would you say? Fashion. 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 What it says in scripture, she's fashioned. Fashioned. Okay. Fa- moms are fashioned to creatures. Is that what you, uh, I should have said? <laughs> But I tell you, it's an interesting role that moms play because they start to say things that they never said before, right? There's things that moms always say. And so I I decided to make a list of things that moms say. And if you are a mom or if your mom has said any of these things, feel free to just shout a little amen or something like that, okay? Because these might sound familiar. So I wrote down the first one that's most common. I think every mom says this. The number one thing I put down that moms always say is no. No, right? Every mom has to say no. Isn't that true? I didn't hear one amen. <laughs> Another thing that moms say is don't make me pull this car over. Has your mom said that? Yeah. My mom, my, my wife says that to our kids sometimes. My mom said it all the time. Another thing that moms say is take it outside, right? Does moms say take it outside? Usually all the boys are roughhousing. Moms also say, it's because I said so, right? And that means I can't think of a good reason, but it's because I said so. Another thing that moms like to say is go ask your dad. I can't make a decision right now, so go ask your dad. Moms also say, Nobody ever said life was fair and easy. Life was, nobody ever said life was fair, right? That's always how it is. You got to play referee, huh, mom? Okay. Mom also always says, I don't care who started it. I don't care who started it. Here's something that sometimes moms will say, I would have never spoke to my mom that way, Right? I would have never. Moms always say things like, turn that thing down, right? And when that doesn't work, turn it off. Turn it off. Moms also say, go to bed, right? Good moms say that. Moms also sometimes will say, what's that smell? (laughs) Or, what's that noise? Or in our case, why is it so quiet? I've heard moms say, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. That was my mom's tactic. You ought to be ashamed, which we never were ashamed. I don't know why, but anyway. (laughs) Moms also say, you better wipe that smirk off your face. And the real ruthless ones will say, or I'll wipe it off for you, right? (laughs) Moms will sometimes say, or often say, did you flush the toilet? Yeah? (laughs) Or, who peed on the toilet seat? Right? Oh, my goodness. It's hard if you have all girls. It's hard to, you know, ask that question. But when you have boys, you know. (laughs) Moms will sometimes ask, where did you hide mommy's keys? Don't you hate that? Because you want to say it as nice as you can, but you're usually pretty intense because you got to go somewhere. Moms will often say, let me smell your hands. Mm. Or let me smell your breath. Come here, let me smell your breath. (laughs) Let me smell those feet. Jeez, moms. Her moms will say, "How did you get this in your hair?" Right? But my favorite thing that moms say and they say it often, and I so appreciate my favorite things that moms say is, "I love you." That's the best thing that moms say. Can we thank all our moms for saying, "I love you?" And what it means to be a mom, or what it means to be a good mom? It doesn't necessarily mean, you know, when we think of a good mom, it doesn't necessarily mean that someone uh, birthed a child. But when we think about a mom, we think about a certain set of quality characteristics, don't we? When we think about mom, we describe them as these individuals that have these special qualities, characteristics, and virtues. Because moms don't just transform physically. If you think about pregnancy and all that goes on, the transformation that happens in a woman, but also moms are transformed spiritually and mentally and emotionally because you get stretched as a mom. When you, you get stretched as you grow, being a mom is like being on the fast track to maturity, right? You got to grow up quick. Things that I think of, characteristics of moms are that they're kind and that they're compassionate, that they're loving, that they're nurturing, they're creative, they're hospitable, they're disciplinarians, they're good cooks, organized, helping, considerate, positive, and on and on and on, the list goes. I like this quote. We weren't born with manuals. We were born with moms. That's right. Moms show us how to behave and how to live. And why are moms such powerhouses of quality and characteristic, our character? It's because we need them to be. And I think God knew that. God knew that we needed moms. And we all need moms to support us and guide us, comfort us. And as I read this list of quality characteristics, it's often that moms will say, well, I'm not Perfect. You know, I, I, I may not, all those, you know, quality characteristics you, you mentioned are on and on. I don't have all of them. I have areas of weaknesses. And isn't that true? Moms do reflect and realize that they're not perfect. They have weaknesses. And sometimes mom will say, I, moms will say, I'm, I wish I was better or more equipped in this area or that area. My wife does it. My mom does it. My brothers and I were awful, and we, we love to point out my mom's blunders. I don't know why, but, you know, I've got three brothers, and we, you know, every time we get together, we start to pick on my mom and tell her about all the blunders that she's, you know. And so I'll, um, so she's not here today, so I'm going to share one of her blunders with you, if that's okay. Uh, there were a couple of times when I was about eight or nine years old that I broke out in the worst hives like, I was hives head to toe. Like, I had hives in my stomach so I couldn't hold food down. And, you know, I remember going into the doctor's office and the nurses couldn't even look at me. I just looked horrible because I had hives all over myself. And so the doctors, they, they did some tests and they could not figure out what gave me these hives, and so I, I remember thinking about it later and looking back, and I remember telling my mom, You know, right before I got the hives, you know, I, you, you gave me liver. And she said, No, it wasn't liver, because I was giving you liver even when you were little. Like your whole life, I was giving you liver. And I said, Mom, you're missing the point. You fed me liver. Okay, that was supposed to be more funny in my head. All right, anyway, you guys get the point? Anyway, long story short, thanks for that later laugh. That helped, that helped. But moms can be good without being perfect. Sometimes moms feel like, I have to be perfect in order to be a good mom, but it's just not true. In fact, moms can have a handful of virtues and a handful of characteristics, and moms can be good. And that's what we need. Not perfect moms, but we need good moms. And moms can really lean into what God has given them. Maybe the one or two or three gifts, characters. And lean into those things. Because where we are weak, we continue to look to the one who is perfect. And the one who does strengthen us and grow us. I'm reminded of this, that moms actually, they start in a place of nurturing and sort of being the the life giver to this child and to to take care of and provide the food and the comfort and the love when they're so small. But really, moms end up transitioning from where they started into being prayer warriors. Because one day, your child's not going to need you the same way, right? One day, your child is going to grow and want to spread their own wings and to go away and And then moms have to transition to let them go to become prayer warriors. And so, in fact, if a mom does a good job, then I guess the goal is that your child will one day leave and never come back. And that's just, that's makes me cry when I think about that, right? You know, it's like, that's sad. But it's true. Us, you know, parents, moms are there to support, to love, to nurture, to grow, to parent, so that they can one day stand on their own two feet. And so the question then becomes for moms and and for all of us is, and I'm sure moms have asked this and we asked this, is how do I become a good mom? How do we how do I become a better mom? Does your mom ask you that? If you're a mom, do you ask yourself? And moms aren't the only ones who ask this question. We ask this question, dads ask this question: how can I become a better dad? Husbands ask, how can I become a better husband? Wives, how can I become a better wife? Or better coworker, better boss, better employee, better neighbor, better friend, better son, daughter, student. And the real reason is, is that all of us have room to improve. I haven't asked, if you haven't asked yourself, how can I become better? Well, maybe you should. Because we all have room to grow. We all have the opportunity or need to become better. To grow. Recently, I uh, was coaching baseball as they were uh, finishing up the season, and another parent told my wife that I was a good coach. She didn't tell me that; she told my wife that. But my wife told me, and I thought, man, that really felt nice to hear that I was a good coach. You know, it meant that some of the things that the the virtues or the quality, the characteristics that I was growing in my relationship with God, it meant that I was able to distribute that amongst these young kids. You know, and parents or at least that parent said he, Noah's a good coach and it's not that I feel that way every time at the end of a practice I don't feel like I'm a good coach I can't tell you how many times I've hit a kid in the face with a ball this year it's incredible you know and, I, and for me as being a good coach I'm really not that sympathetic because I think if you got hit in the face with a ball it's certainly not my fault you didn't catch it you know this is the opportunity for you to put your glove up you know and don't, you know, and I'll, you know, sometimes I'll say, hey, don't let, <coughs> excuse me, don't let the fact that you're five years old be an excuse why you can't catch the ball. You know, it's, anyway, I'm just kidding. I'm not that harsh. But anyway, it's good to know that we can all become better, that we can all become good. And it's in the doing and the becoming that we grow. Right? You have to not only reflect, but you also have to do so that you can become better, that you can become good, that you can grow. We mature, we become better. We have to invest, we have to do, we have to serve, we have to give, give back. We do without becoming and growing. We give, out, if we do that, if we do the giving and the serving and the, without the becoming, then we, beget, we give out of obligation and it comes out of personal motive. But when we neglect to give and we, we neglect to serve, then we actually hold back the gifts that God has given to us to share with others. There's a, a good story from the Bible that really paints this picture well. And uh, it's the, a, a story of two women that I res- respect very much. And I'm not sure if they were moms, but they could have been. Luke 10, 38 through 42 talks about two women, Martha and Mary Don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken from her. You know, it's interesting to point out that Martha doesn't, or Jesus doesn't devalue Martha's work. Martha was preparing. She was being hospitable. Thirteen men just showed up to her house. And probably they were hungry. Could you imagine thirteen people showing up to your house, sort of unannounced, unannounced? and it wasn't like they were going to just stop in to say hi, like they were there to eat some food, and most likely they were going to stay there for a while. they probably've been walking, they're sweaty, they're dirty, they probably needed to bathe, they probably needed to have a place to sleep, and these weren't just ordinary men where you could just say, oh, there's towels over here, there's stuff over here. These, this, was, this was Jesus. He was becoming famous. He was teaching. He was, he was uh, doing miracles. People were following him everywhere. So can you imagine that Martha had her work cut out for her? She needed to take care of the people that showed up. Her work was important. So Jesus doesn't necessarily devalue her work. But what he does is he prioritizes his teaching. That what he has to say has more value than what she was doing. Jesus takes the time to share that his teaching is priority and that sitting at Jesus' feet is better or more important or greater. Jesus is using this opportunity to teach one of his previous teachings that man cannot live on bread alone, but instead man lives on the word of God. So what he is saying to Martha is that you cannot allow your work to become Your value or where you get your value from. Your efforts or your service or your gifts, this is not where you get your value from. But instead our value is in who we have relationship with. Mary's value is that she's sitting at my feet and developing relationship with me. She's learning from me, being guided by me. And it's interesting that Martha takes this time to sort of place her He's trying to, she's trying to put Mary in her place. Martha does not say, Jesus, I could use your help. Or, hey, after you guys are done talking, I've got some work to be done. Or, hey, could you guys, like, sort of help me, you know, with the the preparations of the food. She doesn't say that. But what she does is she sees this group of 14 people, at least, maybe there was more, who knows. And she chooses the other woman in the room. Now, I don't want to pick on Martha, But I did just want to take some time to highlight Jesus' response. He says this Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. Martha, in a way, tried to tell Jesus to tell Mary to know her place. Mary's place isn't without all the men listening to the teaching, Mary's place is with me doing the serving and the cooking. And in a way, it's kind of similar. I'm not trying to relate women to children at all, it's just a similar story. It's similar to the story where the disciples had tried to remove children from Jesus' presence, if you remember that story children were trying to come to Jesus, and the disciples said, whoa, 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 get back here, get back. And Luke eighteen sixteen, this was Jesus' response. Jesus called the children to him, and he said, let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I'm not trying to pick on the men who try to hold the kids back because maybe they had good reason, thinking they would be distracting. And I'm not trying to pick on Martha because maybe she thought, hey, that was their responsibility, that was their role, they had work to be done. But what I am trying to say is that we as people have a tendency to sometimes limit people's access. We try to say, hey, here's your role, here's your place, But in both of these situations, Jesus is trying to provide access. Don't limit the kids. Don't tell her she has to go and work. See, this, this is the better. Being with me, this is, if there's a role, if there's a place, it's to be at my feet. It's to be in relationship with me. This is the best. There is no better place to be than at my feet building relationship with me and learning from me and certainly it wasn't that jesus was thinking i can disciple mary and give her a couple of tips on hospitality that's not what he was doing certainly he was discipling her so that she could become a disciple maker He was investing in her. He saw potential in her. While Martha needed help, she needed work to be done. That was maybe what she saw her place. Jesus saw something more. I want to invest into you so that you can grow into the person, into the woman that God has called you to be. You have a true assignment. You have a true calling. And I want to be able to see it come to fruition. And I know that each one of us, sometimes we think about the work and the stuff that we have to do and we... We think about having time to sit at Jesus' feet just seems like an extra thing. Just seems like it's a bit more. And all of us have our hands full. Isn't that true? I know I do. God has entrusted us with things to do. In fact, here's kind of how it works. If we're good stewards of jobs, if we're good stewards of work, if we do things well, what's typically the reward? More stuff to do. Right? Luke 16, 10 says this. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. When you steward little, you're given more. It seems is true at work, isn't it? When you succeed at work, when you're doing well at work, what ends up happening, you get promoted by getting more projects. Right? Here's more stuff to do. You do if you've done good with this, you'll do good with more. So sometimes we get more work, but not necessarily more pay. Isn't that true? But God calls us into what is better. God calls us to choose what is better. He calls us to choose what is first. And what he is saying is this, is that I want you to eat before you provide food. I want you to take care of yourself so that you can take care of others. I want you to sit at my feet so that you can learn and so that you can grow, so that you can be a good disciple maker, so that you can be a good steward, so that you could shepherd people well and walk in the gifts that I've given you. It's like this. When my wife was first nursing, this was seven and a half years ago, our oldest son, uh, Hudson, you know, we were just learning, brand new parents, didn't really know what we were doing. We're still learning, but we definitely did not know what we were doing then. My wife was nursing, and the doctor was concerned about my wife's eating. Whether she was eating enough, getting enough calories, and the right nutrition. And when my wife heard this, she started to get concerned. Well, does that mean that I'm, my baby's not getting enough nutrients? He's not getting enough calories? And the doctor said, oh no. The baby will get what the baby needs. I'm concerned that you won't have enough for yourself. That's what that was about. And so the question or the concern was not about... Whether the baby was getting enough and was being depleted. He was worried about my wife being depleted. And the same is true with us. Because we have output. We will serve. We will give. We will work. We will help. But Jesus asked the question, what about the input? Are you getting the nutrients you need? Because guess what? Your employer will get their value. Your employer will get what they are paying you to do. You better believe it. And in some cases, they're going to get more. Isn't that right? We're going to get more bang for our buck with you. That's what they're paid to do. And my question is, is once your employer... Or once your other relationships, or once others who are depending on you or expecting something from you, whether it's your spouse, child, parent, once they get what they're expected or needed, are you depleted? That rhymes. I didn't even expect it to. Once people get what they have expected or needed out of you, are you done? Do you have nothing left to give? Do you have nothing left for yourself? Are you just exhausted? That was the concern for Martha. Martha. I mean, if you think about it, the way that Jesus addressed Martha, he didn't say, oh, you know, you just keep doing your thing. But he, what he said was, Martha, Martha, you're so worried. You're so distracted. But Mary has chosen the better, better. What he's indirectly saying is, you're welcome to stop doing what you're doing, Martha. You're welcome to stop and to choose what is better with, with Mary. And Jesus invites us to do the same thing. He invites us to choose what is better. He invites us to sit at his feet, to sit in his lap. While others may want to slot us or to keep us from his presence, Jesus clears the way so that we can be in his presence. He wants us to receive from him, to be restored, to be blessed, to be strengthened, to be fed so that you can so that you can feed and, and to receive love so that you can, you can give love. To receive encouragement so that you can be an encourager. To receive strength so that you can strengthen. Receive gifts so that you can be a gift. You know, see, even though Mary chose what is better, it wasn't like that was the end result for her, just to kind of sit at his feet everywhere he went. That'd be kind of weird, you know? Jesus going places and Mary just kind of holding on to his ankle That's kind of weird. That's not what the, the point was. The point was that she could learn and grow so that she can be a blessing, so that she can give to others. And so if we only give out of just who we are, we will eventually run out of something to give. You'll become depleted. You'll run out. But if you give out of what God is doing in your life, You will always have something to give as long as God is doing something in your life. Isn't that good news to know? And so how do you ensure that he is doing something in your life? Well, it's by choosing what is better. It's by choosing to sit at his feet and to receive from him. To make sure that you have time to be with him. Now, on the other hand, we don't want to be religious about this sitting at Jesus' feet because in the same way, Jesus was talking about, hey, if your your ox falls into the ditch, okay, I know most of us don't have oxes, okay, probably none of us. But if your ox falls into the ditch and it happens to be on the Sabbath, it's not like you wait till the Sabbath is over before you go get your ox out of the ditch, right? Use a little bit of some sense here. In the same way, if I'm in my quiet time, and my 18-month-year-old is on the table, and she's dancing around like she does, I don't respond with, when I'm done with my quiet time, I'll go and get her. I don't do that. No, I go and rescue my daughter, right? I do that. It's, there's some common sense in this, so... Moms, especially with little ones, I know how this is. We are all busy and tired. And it's difficult to add another thing. So I don't know, I don't believe that Jesus is saying you need to add another thing to your life. But what I value in this story is that Mary took time out of something that was very important. That needed to be done so that she could be with Jesus. The work needed to be done. It was important work but she left that important work to take time to be with Jesus. And though Martha did not affirm this behavior, it's not okay, it's not appropriate, she left me by myself to do this work. Martha did not affirm this behavior, but Jesus did. Jesus said that it was okay to let some important work go to be with me. And people aren't always going to affirm our setting something important aside so that we can be with Jesus. People won't do that. But Jesus will. Jesus will affirm that sacrifice of saying, this is important, but it can wait so that I can sit at Jesus' feet. You know, I have learned a little bit or as I was reading through and thinking about mom's I was reflecting that uh, you know not all of us are moms, but all of us can take care of and care for and nurture in the same way that moms do. And one of the most famous famous mothers of our time was did never gave birth to a child. Her name was Mother Teresa. Yeah, when you think about somebody who was known for loving and caring and nurturing for many children. We all think of Mother Teresa, Catholic nun, and she was known for rescuing thousands of children and bringing them to Calcutta uh, to to orphanages. And um, in fact, I had met a young lady in college who was one of those babies that had been left in a, a ditch and was rescued by Mother Teresa's orphanage. And if you think about the, the quality and the characteristics that she had, even though she never brought a child into this world physically, she had a heart to save lives. She had a heart to bring others into this world. And she had a desire to rescue others. She had a desire to nurture. And uh, she, she really lived her life to take care of and to raise up others. And so some of us may not be moms. Some of us may never... May, uh, may, never, may never become a mom ourselves, but we all have the ability to foster and to adopt others. We all have the ability to care for others that are not from our own blood. And really what it is, is it's using those God-given characteristics to be able to care for and help others. Because there's so many that are here in this world that don't have moms and dads that are caring for them the way that they need They don't have that love of God that's being given to them. Mother Teresa was known for saying many things, but I thought there's a couple things that I'd like to share that I thought were really appropriate for our conversation this morning. She said this, Not all of us can do great things, but we can do small things with great love. Yeah. We can do something small, something little, when we're filled with great love. Another thing that she said is, do not think that love in order to be genuine has to be extraordinary. What we need is to love without getting tired. I like that. We just need to not worry about the extraordinary things that we need to do. We just need to kind of continue on loving others around us. When I think about Loving and caring for other people, I think, and I think about this idea of getting tired. Sometimes we can sort of just get weary, but we have to learn that God gives love, gives us love for our children, and that we have to be willing to learn how to know our personal capacity as well as our own heart capacity. What I mean by that is this: is that sometimes we can get ourselves doing so much. And we start to kind of find ourselves in burnout mode. And we have to learn how to prune our work so that our heart gets in it again. You ever find yourself doing something and your heart's just not in it? You find yourself just sort of like uh, being disgruntled about it, complaining about it, grumbling about it? The trick is, is to learn how to prune back your work until your heart becomes in it again. So what that means is that sometimes our work extends past our heart. Yeah, it's like, man, my heart was here. Here's my heart capacity, but then I find myself going beyond that. And this is the, the, this is the place where I start to find myself grumbling, complaining, exhausted, depleted. And if we stay in this mode too long where our capacity is going past our heart capacity, that's where we, get, we find ourselves getting burnt out. And that's where we start to say things. I'm exhausted. I'm tired. It means that we're running into our fumes. We're going too far. So we have to look at our capacity or the things that we're doing, and we have to be willing to say, "What things am I doing that I can begin to prune? That I can cut back on? And I can just say, "Oh, maybe this thing I don't need to do anymore. Maybe I can cut back on this, or maybe this needs to go for another season. And we cut back, cut back, and back, back until we find where our heart's in it again. We start to find joy. We start to feel, feel some excitement find like, this is what I was meant for. I can see my gifts being used. So my heart capacity and my personal capacity are uh, matching. Now the goal is, is to not necessarily keep our heart capacity the same. Our goal is actually to increase our heart capacity so that we can actually say yes to more. God wants us to say yes to more, so he wants us to increase our heart capacity so that we can do more. It was the same thing that happened when, you know, we had two kids. I felt like I was at both my heart, personal, any type of capacity I possibly had. I was over that. I was done. Two kids. I was done. And if you don't know the story, we were not planning to have another one. And I thought I couldn't have another one, et cetera, et cetera. And it wasn't uh, besides the grace of God and some some type of mistake maybe because of the doctor somehow because I did what I was supposed to do and somehow we still got pregnant if you know what I mean. And, and so we ended up getting pregnant with a third one. Both my wife and I said, what are we going to do? We're past our capacity. But here's what's amazing that happened. We had our third. And God increased my heart capacity. Now I can... I can do things I never thought I could do before. I'm able to say yes to more. I'm able to say yes to baseball as well as my little pony somehow. (laughs) I'm doing it. I'm doing it. God is so good that he wants us to continue to be able to say yes and he wants to increase our heart capacity. But we have to give ourselves the permission to be human. That sometimes when we're past our heart capacity and we're starting to get disgruntled and mad and angry and depleted and feeling exhausted and on the verge of burnout, we have to give ourselves the permission to prune, prune back until we go, oh, my heart's in it again. It's life giving it again. I can do this and pray, God, would you stretch me? Would you grow me that I would grow in my heart capacity? So we have to be willing to prune sometimes so that we won't become fried and we won't become embittered and we won't become angry or exhausted. And so that our hearts become appropriate to what is on our plates. I want to conclude with this story that I, uh, I actually just saw on the internet. I don't know how I came across it. Maybe social media or something. But the title of this video, and maybe you saw it, have, have watched the video, but it was called I Will Never Forget That Cup of Coffee. And what happened was there was this guy, he went to, uh, he was on his way uh, to see his family. Um, I think he was on his way to Cleveland. He stopped through Minneapolis and he was there like two hours early. So to him, it meant a cup of coffee. And so he walked over to one of the uh, cafeterias that was, that was close by. And um, I invite you to come up, babe. And, and uh, he, he walked up and he ordered uh, or said, uh, went up to order a cup of coffee. And as he walked up, he approached the girl who was behind the register, and it just happened to be on Christmas Eve. This just happened to be on Christmas Eve, and he was going to see his family, and he thought to himself, well, this girl's working on Christmas Eve, but here's how she greeted him. Hi, my name's Lily. What's your name? He was like, I'm Brett. She's like, Brett, what can I get for you today? He said, hmm, I think I'll like one of those pumpkin lattes. She said, I'll bet you want whipped cream on that. He said, as a matter of fact, I do. She said, here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to put some whipped cream on that. I'm going to put a little bit of nutmeg on it for you. And I'm going to make that nice and warm. It's going to be perfect. He said, sounds good. And as he was starting to pay for it and maybe walk down, then he started to ask her, ask him some questions. So I bet you're going to go see your family. He said, as a matter of fact, I am. She said to him, you know what? On your way back from Cleveland and you come through, I want you to stop through and I want you to tell me all about it he started thinking to himself, man, there's all these people coming and going. I'm getting ready to go see my family. And here she is on Christmas Eve, just showing this joy to me. And after he went away with his cup of coffee, he just couldn't help himself to just ask, what was inside of her that would cause her to be so meaningful in connecting with her at that time? And so he went back to her and he said, hey, Lilia, I just couldn't help but to ask you why are you so, I don't know, interested or, or, or so, uh, you know, uh, excited about making coffee or, or making personal connections with people as you're pouring coffee? And she says, I'm not pouring people coffee. I'm pouring happiness in a cup. He said, okay, okay. <laughs> but here's the deal. I, I, I watched that video and I thought to myself, that is the same that's true Of us is that God doesn't want us necessarily to do more. You know that? Sometimes we think He does. God just wants me to do more, do more, do more. No. But He wants us to do (coughs) with more. He wants to invest and put inside of us so that when we are doing something as simple as pouring a cup of coffee, we're a gift to somebody. She didn't know what was going on with him at that, personal, at that time, but that he had gotten some news that his, uh, his dad had had, you know, had some, some health issues and it ended up becoming a difficult time for him. And she didn't realize that that connection that she made with him became an anchor for him through that time. You know, God wants us to give more, love more, and increase our hearts So when he gives more to us, that it would be done with a fullness and overflow from our hearts. God doesn't want us to give from empty hearts. I think that's where Martha was, bossing her sister around. But instead, he wants us to give with an overflow. And how do we do that? We have to sit at his feet. We have to choose what's greater. Amen? Amen.